One of the really interesting things that Kim and Takas brings up in this is that he already wondered whether difference was is that in the, the general exercise group they had less fear of movement because they're allowed to move whereas with the core stability people they were zooming in on them and they you know getting a bit frustrated not getting the multifidus to swell and all that stuff. Understanding the history and the role of stability in back pain can be a challenge. How we apply this to our patients, whether we go more nuanced with our exercise or more global. Well, we had Robin Kerr on today, who's an Australian physiotherapist. Now, she has an interesting background in biomechanics and psychology, and she's a wonderful person to talk about and take us through the history of stability in back pain all the way from the 70s up to 2020. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Robin. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. We're going to get into this core stability story and take us back a little bit and then catch us all the way up to what we know now. So where would you start this story and, and what have your learnings been? Well, I can start this story because I've lived this story. I graduated physio in the early 80s, so I'm showing my age now. I think I've come into physio with biomechanics and statistics background. So I found the core stability story, the motor control story, quite interesting to follow. I think it's a good example of where zoomed in linear thought in physio, which predominates physio, has taken us. And, and we've kind of been in a 21-year time warp. We're coming out of it at the moment. That's where we're going to get to at the end of this talk. I just wanted to say before I start, I am a massive fan of Paul Hodges. Yeah. I think Paul Hodges is he's one of the best researchers and the best academics we've got in physio in the world. And I, I'm a real groupie. I follow his work, so I know it quite intricately. That's good. Thorough. Massive fan. So basically what happened was that we we were trying to treat back pain and we came up with a few concepts to treat back pain that were very tissue-based, mechanical-based. Mm. So we were looking at what is stability and we took it purely from physics and biomechanics. So if you apply a perturbation to a system and it returns to pretty close to where it started from, you've got a stable system. If you perturbate a system and it doesn't come back, it's different from where you started, then you've got an unstable system. How that ever related to the human body, I'm not sure. But anyway, we'll go to the right. <laughs> so basically, a lack of core stability would be the muscles aren't coordinating in a fashion where they can support the spine. Underlying core stability idea is motor control. So we're looking at muscles, mechanoreceptors, brain networks, and the spinal cord. So, you know, it, it's kind of within our realms of practice. Mm. My issue right from the get-go with it is are we talking about trunk stability or as physios who are working with low back pain, are we talking about segmental instability? I think that was always a grey area. I think that was a confusing thing for a lot of people from the get-go and they're starting to answer that now 20 years down the track. Okay. So it all began pre-WWW dot in 1989. I think 1989 was the year that Tim Berners-Lee proposed the internet to his boss and they thought it was a good idea. So this is all when we had to go to conferences and read papers and yeah. a lot of people missed stuff. So Bergmark came out. He did a purely mechanical engineering version of uh, lumbar spine stability or low back stability. And he talked about the inner unit muscles. He talked about the global stabilizers and he talked a bit about intra-abdominal pressure. So pretty much this is where if you've seen pictures of a mast of a boat, the spine being described like the mast of a boat with the ropes mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, the tight wiring around the, the mast and the long ropes, that's where that came from. Very brilliant. 
Boolean physics and mathematics have been around since the 1600s. Most biomechanics are based still on that. There's a problem there. We'll come back to it later. I still remember seeing that picture of the boat. boat so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's where it all started from pretty much. That was in 89, pre-internet. So in 92, Panjabi came up and he made it a little bit more nuanced. So he said that, you know, there, there are passive, active and neurological subsystems that help control the spine. And then he talked about neutral zone and neutral zone would be where the system would be most stable. So all of a sudden, you know, for the next five or so years, everybody became really hyper-focused on neutral spine. You've got to be in neutral. You've got to hold your back in neutral. That started in 92. And then we, we cruised along with that for a little while. And then about 96, I think Paul Hodges and Julie Hydes must have been starting their master's PhD pathway. And Hodges and Richardson came out in 96 with inefficient muscle stabilization of the spine is associated with low back pain, motor control evaluation of the transversus abdominis. And Julie mm. Hydes came out with her real-time ultrasound on the multifidus. So we had those two studies. In the same year, McGill up in Canada and Cholowicki came out with some modelling on how the spine is stabilised. So all of a sudden we had two groups happening. We had we had guys who were pretty much looking at how you lift heavy and we had people who were looking at motor control. Yeah. Peter O'Sullivan then came along, I think, with Lance Twomey around the same time, and he did a study on people with spondylolisthesis. So all of a sudden we, you know, we had a horse bolting here. We had core stability within the mainstream and everybody was copying core stability in the clinic. And it was, you know, it, it's, it's understandable because up until then, you know, we're giving people basic sit-ups and we did a bit of bridging, but we didn't have anything hard. So the Pilates instructors, the fitness industry and the physios jumped on core stability training. There wasn't much else around. We had this really big hyper-focus on the canister, diaphragm, pelvic floor, abs in the southern hemisphere. But it was really interesting because you could see in conferences and they were actually quite acrimonious at times when Hodges and McGill were in turning up to present on stability in the back. In the southern hemisphere, we had this gentle stuff happening. We had this, you know, we had the real-time ultrasound happening on multifidus and we were gently touching our lower tummies and getting the timing going with transversus. And in the northern hemisphere, you've got McGill and the Scandinavians, the Vikings, I call them, the Scandinavians who really like to lift heavy and they were bracing. And then what happened for about the next, I'd say, eight years is that they started, the academics of either hemisphere started to present papers against each other. So it, it became quite interesting to watch it, but it was a little bit, it was a real dichotomy and it was, and we got two camps forming. So what basically happened was that we, we got a whole bunch of RCTs comparing motor control to general exercise. And in a lot of the studies, general exercise is McGill's big three. So things like planking and bridging and bird dogs and all that sort of stuff. I won't go through too many of them, but the one that I picked out to talk about was an RCT by George Kumantakis, a Greek researcher in 2005. He compared the Queensland system of identifying the transversus and holding neutral and generating, generating that, that corset effect plus some of McGill type exercises versus McGill exercises on their own. They saw them twice a week for eight weeks and they checked them at three months. Okay. What they found was in the short term, the disability, so they were using outcome measures on them. It was quite, quite a good study for its time. They were using outcome measures on them and the people who just did the McGill general exercise type stuff, they showed less disability in the short term. But 
by three months, they'd all caught up to each other and they were exactly the same. Okay. So one of the really interesting things that Kumantakis brings up in this is that he already wondered whether difference was is that in the, the general exercise group they had less fear of movement because they're allowed to move, whereas with the core stability people, they were zooming in on them and they you know getting a bit frustrated, not getting the multifidus to swell and all that stuff. So we have a question there about nocebic input with core stability, which has always been a, yeah. a big problem for me with it. So whichever way you looked at it, what had screamed out into the world of fitness and physio and Pilates was that if you have weak core muscles, that is why your back is hurting. Man, that's been hard to get rid of. So what I would like to do is just digress a little bit. Being a Paul Hodges groupie, I went to all these conferences and I thought it was very unfair the way that the Northern Hemisphere guys were criticising him. So, I um, mean, you know, they were doing a lot of studies to say if you activate your transversus before you lift heavy, you actually weaken the spine, which is maybe true. But what was happening actually is Hodges from about 2002 onwards, this is a smart guy, he started working with uh, Laura Mosley and they were, I've just got a few studies here, 2002, motor control of deep and superficial compartments depend on higher centres, effect of stress on movement reaction times, fear of low back pain delays activation of transversus abdominis, fear of pain disrupts postural control, relationships between respiration and locomotor activities, changing the brain, motor learning and musculoskeletal pain. So from 2002, he was on it. He was on it already. Yeah. But the world recognises Hodges as the transversus abdominis guy, uh, which I think is a bit of a pity because he really is one of our best researchers. Anyhow, we just travel along into 2011 now and everybody's telling their patients that their back's hurting because their ab muscles are weak and that all they need to brace harder to protect the back. And there was a paper by Henry Zhao, an Australian physio. This was also with Hodges involved, where they came upon smudging in the cortex and that there seemed to be uh, motor cortex and neuronal network changes when people had back pain that were affecting the way that their paraspinal muscles were activating, the fascicles were, that were activating. So all of a sudden, by 2011, we're in the brain. At that time, Hodges was also doing a lot of research with Chabron and they were basically looking at, they were up in the brain, they'd actually left the muscles. The world's 17 years behind at this point and they'd left the muscles okay. So they're in the cortex and they're looking at behaviour. I just wanted to make that point because when you go on social media and you see what people are, you know, they're against core stability, some of the loudmouths on social media, mm. the first study that they jumped to is Anne Mannion's study in 2012. And in that, she was looking at a spinal stabilisation exercises and treatment of chronic low back pain and that she said that good outcomes were not associated with improved abdominal muscle function, but they found that there was a correlation or an association with catastrophization. So Hodges has known about that for quite a long time, before 2012. And, and I think I just wanted to make that point clear to people that that happened in 2012. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and you know, it just goes to show that, you know, the way that things work out. I'm standing up for Paul Hodges, basically. Mm. So <laughs> where did we get to by 2014? So we knew by 2014 that low back pain had cortical changes that kind of related to the way that the inner unit or the canister muscles could work. We had this good kinematic study by Laird who found was in a systematic review in a meta that found that there, in low back pain there was a decrease in range of motion, decrease in the use of proprioception in the back, 
and that people tended to be more stiffer than unstable. So this thing was shifting. Mm. We had Ben Smith come along in 2014 with an update on the stabilisation exercises for low back pain. It was a SR and a meta as well. Everybody uses the Smith meta to on core stability basically. Okay, so basically what he went through and he did, he found that there's no statistical difference between doing just general exercise and core stability exercise. And it was interesting because he did a big mic drop in this study at the end of it. He said um, there's strong evidence that stabilisation exercises are not more effective than any other exercise in the long term. So not more effective. And I think people do just read abstracts a lot. It's something I've noticed teaching for a few students. They tend, you know, people, most physios tend to read abstracts because it's time consuming to read things. But basically, not more effective does not mean that it's worse than general exercise. It means that they're the same. And if you look at the numbers, it's the same. So all exercise helps. Mm. The core stability, the motor control exercise stuff helps. There's not, a, not enough difference. So being a Brit, the Aussies jumped onto that meta. And then we had, um, it's never mentioned. So you don't see the 2012 to 2015 SRs and metas that actually show that the motor control or the core stability training is superior to other interventions and basic exercise in the short term. So one of the things I think that I've always thought when I've looked at that, I think it was Thompson in 2015 found short-term benefits to core stability and there was a Chinese, quite a big Chinese paper that found that there were short-term benefits to the core stability training. So my question's always been, if you go in there, are you talking to the cortex when you're doing the zoomed-in canister stuff? Are we going to be helping with smudging? That's something that we haven't answered. That's something that I think that they'll go on to answer. Mm. And then the CERL in 2015, there was another SR and meta. Um, going through it, I'm a geek, there are over a thousand RCTs similar to all this sort of stuff comparing the motor control, the core stability versus general exercise, and none of them got a result that was significant apart from the fact that core stability might be better in the short term. Okay. I think Kumantakis found the general, the McGill stuff better in the short term because of the way they're in a study, um, a very formal study, and I think the way that they were being handled with the inner unit stuff might have been a little bit nocebic for that group of subjects. So you've got to look at things in a bit more detail. So basically what's been happening is we've had this reductionist approach in with RCTs and we've got to move away. We've got to get to multimodal research. In 2015, Paul Hodges got some of the best people in the world, all the researchers, the Chol Wikis, the Van Dians, Linda, Van Dillen, together, and they've put together a set of papers in the uh, JOSP, it was 2019 June. I've put up the links to all that. There are about 10 really good papers. What they do is they go through and they summarize all the aspects and bring it all together. And it becomes very obvious that there's a need to subgroup, that we need to look at the research in a completely different way, very much BPS. And Hodges basically ends up by saying that we need to look at hybrid methods of approaching people with back pain. So all the things that have come in the past are going to be assessed and they are going to start, there's some lovely flow charts in these articles as well. They're, they're, they're really starting to shift this in the direction that it should have gone in the first place. And I, I think, you know, we can, we can put it down to the world's a small place now and we know we've got lots of connection on the internet. They started this in 2015 and they published it in 2019. So instead of just being 
a meeting and a bit of a summary. It's turned into commentaries, it's turned into suggestions for rehab, and it's turned into, most importantly, the new direction for research. So the story's not over yet. We're not done yet. Robin, that's a that's a wonderful history. And I think the history is important because we have a lot of young health professionals just adopting over here and the history and understanding how we got there. I think that's so valuable. Yeah. You touched on some really nice things there. And it sounds like the action point would be to read those series of papers. The Joss yeah. papers, for sure. It's the best summary. You've got the summary by the best people in the yeah. world putting their heads together in a meeting over some drinks, I guess. So I was quite impressed by them. I think a lot of people tend to blow off the paper saying, well, nothing's new. Mm. There's so much new stuff in that. There's so many pathways forward, and this is where people should be looking now. Forget the core stability stuff from the 80s and the 90s. Look at this stuff. Trust Paul Hodges knows what he's doing because he really does. Robin, let's do a part two where we speak to the practical application and your your learnings from this and yeah i think it would be valuable if people read that and tied all that history together and then we get you back and talk about the practical application absolutely because i've started to use some of that stuff from josp already so there's a few things clinically that i use all the time that's really helped me that's amazing thank you so much for your time you're welcome and we will speak again okay great thanks michael thanks robert <laughs>